My name is Yijing. And my name is Laura. And this is Intune with Asia. Asia, where we dissect what makes consumers tick and dive deep into the different countries that make up the Asian continent. Today, we will be speaking with Elaine Pai. Elaine is based in Singapore and has been working for Meta for about six years. She is leading customer success across APAC for a pretty exciting and unique team, the Reality Lab team, who will focus on virtual and augmented reality. With her many years of experience, Elaine strongly believes that it is important to keep an open mind when you work in a tech environment, solving problems for the future. To thrive, she believes in staying open to ambiguity and the unknown. So I could not think of a more perfect guest to speak about today's topic with us. The metaverse in Southeast Asia. And the metaverse is one of those things that has just been talked about so much lately, but I think has also been very misunderstood. So thank you so much for joining us today, Elaine. And maybe let's start with the simple question of what this metaverse actually is. The very interesting thing is there is no proper industry definition. So the metaverse is still being defined both literally and figuratively. At Meta, we define it as a set of virtual spaces, which will allow you to connect and engage with other people who aren't in the same physical space as you. And so does this replace our in-person experiences? I mean, will we live in this futuristic world where we just live in, in virtual reality in the future? This isn't really about replacing in-person experiences. I think we all value those experiences at the end of the day the most. It's really about making what we do online better and more meaningful. It's about presence, so feeling like you're really beside the person. There's the element of persistence and continuity having the ability to access the metaverse at any time uh, and you'll be able to kind of transport yourself between experiences and spaces. And lastly, we really want to make it interoperable. You know, having the ability to access the metaverse from different devices in different levels of fidelity, from apps on your phones to immersive VR and AR devices. Since we both want to look at using it on the phone and also on computers, and we know that in Southeast Asia, it's more of a mobile-first place, then where do we globally stand right now when it comes to technology? Are we actually able to access the metaverse on the phone yet? Yeah, so metaverse currently is actually accessed primarily through flat screens. And we are talking about televisions, computers, smartphones. And we actually expect them to dominate for another five years before we transition to our VR devices. First and foremost, there is a lot of change management to get people to adopt a new device. The second thing is they are not cheap. So especially in Southeast Asia, where a lot of markets are still emerging, it is quite a costly device to invest in. And of course, the benefits and the ROI are not properly defined yet. So there are a lot of early use cases actually in the space of gaming where there are a lot of avid gamers. They don't mind investing in equipment which will make the experience a bit more immersive and they will enjoy a bit better. But it's just not realized yet in the other industries and the other use cases. So I think in that aspect, we definitely see mobile phones as the first entry point into the metaverse. I think to fully realize the metaverse potential, we will need to develop quite a few different areas of our infrastructure. We have the compute infrastructure to overcome the limits of concurrency today where the number of players are kept. 
We also have like the network infrastructure to overcome what we call high latency lagging or low bandwidth buffering. And last but not least, we have the interface hardware, which of course Meta is trying to solve for, where we hope that access to the metaverse can be democratized and, you know, people can use mobile phones instead of just having to purchase expensive devices. And when we zoom into Southeast Asia as a region, what, what makes it unique when it comes to a technology like the metaverse? People like to group countries in Southeast Asia as like one region, like the North America region or maybe the Western Europe region. But the fact is it's composed of seven different countries of huge diversity in religion, language, culture and history. So I think the one thing that I really want to call out is there is really no one size fits all in Southeast Asia. So even though we want to name that region as such, there is no go-to-market playbook that you can develop for the whole region. And there is also a difference in maturity in terms of like technology, infrastructure, and correspondingly readiness in adoption of a new technology. That makes a lot of sense. And that's, uh, I guess it's a, it's a journey. Um, but when we look at the different countries, you know, what are kind of some of the most advanced um, countries and the ones that are, you know, maybe still taking a bit more time to, to adopt these technologies? That's a hard question to answer because it really, I don't want to make that generalization um, because I live in Singapore. Of course, like the government is very supportive of innovation and there's also a lot of investments in infrastructure. So organizations here are maybe a little bit more forward-looking in terms of looking what's what's outside, what are some of the new technologies to adopt. But we have also spoken to very forward-thinking organizations across the region. So it really depends. I would say even large complex organizations in the region do have the capacity and the investment to look outwards, to bring in new technologies and to experiment and test, learn and adopt. Um, so it... it it really depends. What I would love to advise companies to who are thinking of embarking on this journey is to really think in terms of like business need versus complexity. There are use cases which are higher in terms of the business need dimension, but maybe slightly lower in complexity. So maybe it's, for example, a training module that is five minutes, ensuring that everybody understands what it means to be on the front line serving customers and building that empathy across the organization. Maybe that is slightly lower in complexity, but maybe quite high in business need. And how localized would you say a global company needs to get when it comes into Southeast Asia? Because there are so many different countries. Do they need to think of a different plan for every single country? In terms of the metaverse-specific conversation, I would say not at this point because it's so preliminary and companies are in the stage of experimenting. So they really want to understand what is the potential, what are the use cases, and how can they get started. So it really depends on what angle you're coming in. If you are, for example, a content creator in the space of uh, being an independent software vendor for these organizations, I think just kind of opening up their minds to the different possibilities of value creation in the metaverse um, is very exciting. And you will definitely have the access to a lot of conversations with these companies. So you mentioned use cases and, you know, different examples you're seeing. What are the biggest trends that are driving these use cases in the region? 
I would say three main trends. Uh, number one, over COVID, a lot of people really missed in-person engagements and large group gatherings. So people are now thinking of how they can spend meaningful time together if something similar breaks out again and they're unable to kind of meet in person. Um, the second thing is consumer experiences is another big trend. I think consumers here are very used to e-commerce and they're actually looking forward to purchasing physical or virtual products online. Um, and, you know, it's no surprise that the caring group, is, which owns brands such as Gucci and St. Laurent and Balenciaga, it, they actually have a dedicated team at management level to explore the opportunities and possible disruption of the metaverse for its portfolio of luxury brands. So I would say if they eventually focus in Southeast Asia, they will probably see a lot of curiosity and demand as to, you know, how people can shop in the metaverse. I would say the last trend is around relationships. This region is a very relationship-focused region where people actually enjoy discussing work over a cup of coffee or over a good meal. Um, there is what we call the Zoom fatigue right now where people still want the flexibility of a hybrid work model, but they also want to be able to meet and collaborate with their colleagues remotely. And when I say meet, it's really having that in-person collaboration at least having the ability to have something similar. And VR has the potential to replicate the environment where you can feel like you're actually collaborating with your colleagues, brainstorming, ideating with them in the same space. I think one really interesting thing that popped into my mind is in terms of meeting in person and like the use of space. I think when we are on Zoom or on Teams, all our little icons and avatars are kind of popped up the same way, you know, like lined up. But in person, I think especially in like Chinese and a lot of like Asian contexts, um, sometimes when it comes to business meetings or even dinners, there are a certain hierarchy in terms of who gets to sit where. So that's very interesting to think about how in the metaverse, when it's more of a 3D experience, like how these things even come to life. That's an interesting concept. I think when we think about the metaverse and when we think about building for the metaverse, we actually think about being more inclusive. And that means we could actually be bringing down a lot of these hierarchies and actually making the organization more flat. That's actually how we see the metaverse. So I don't think we will actually want to incorporate these elements, you know, creating barriers and, you know, that distance um, between people in the metaverse. But going back to the earlier point of meeting in person, what we actually miss most where we, when we don't meet in person or when we don't go to the office is actually those serendipitous encounters. You know, when you walk in the hard corridors and you kind of say hi to someone you haven't met before or a familiar face, a casual 10 minutes chat over coffee when you're at the pantry. That's actually really interesting because it's, it's true that the technology that we use right now, it's very much about directing your energy towards a specific person or, you know, it's planned. I call this person. I set up a meeting with this person. But you don't just hang around and meet somebody. <laughs> exactly. So I, I would say that our ideal solution is really to have that space to hang around. You know, if you have a 10 minutes break, you go to the water cooler in the metaverse and you get to meet someone and you really get to widen your network, whether it's internally or externally. There is actually research to show that remote work actually hurts 
collaboration across different business groups within a large company. And that could transcend employee productivity and long-term innovation. So what happens is when we are working from home, we tend to strengthen those known ties. And those ties are most likely kind of in your own team or in your own business group. But we are actually not reaching out to people outside our business units. And that harm productivity and innovation in the long run. So with a reduction in number of ties bridging structural gaps in a company's informal collaboration network, um, silos might actually get deeper. So we are actually trying to solve for that. We are trying to bring those serendipitous encounters back. And I think actually that's that's so interesting, not just for, for the world of work, but actually also more generally, because when I think about when I'm online shopping, I think it's actually so boring because I'm just clicking through this website and it feels... You know, I'm not getting the people watching experience that I have when I go into a shop. Whereas if I'm shopping in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm Imagine if you can meet up with five of your best friends in your favorite store and you could have a conversation around, you know, the pieces of clothing that you're shopping for. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like multitasking, but in a, like in a very natural way. I mean, if you think about going out shopping or just going out you're actually stimulated by so many different things and even though we're on the internet and we have all these different web pages but that experience is so different yeah speaking of multitasking i don't know about you but i'm definitely much more distracted when i'm taking a zoom call i will be replying a whatsapp message like five other emails and then also looking at a shopping site but when you are in vr it actually brings you back to as though you are in person because you can be truly focused in that meeting, in that discussion. And I think that's one of the benefits that I've personally encountered and experienced while taking a VR meeting versus a Zoom meeting. Um, so you've mentioned these kinds of three trends. Within this specific Southeast Asia context, which one do you see having the biggest adoption? I would say I'm maybe a bit biased because I'm in the RLB2B space. Many of the efforts to date have actually been centered around marketing and consumer experiences, but I do see a lot of potential in the enterprise and productivity use cases, such as learning and development, virtual meetings and conferences, and product design or digital twinning in, in the mid to long term. They would have the ability to help companies realize big cost savings and they will really enable their employees to be more effective and collaborative, building that sense of belonging that I just spoke about. So for example, real estate costs can be safe if a company has a digital space where its employees can have those serendipitous interactions. And we also think about training, especially those which involves high-risk situations such as in the law enforcement area or things like firefighting or even for technical skills such as operating advanced machinery, there is actually a high cost to train people in such scenarios. And if everything can be done in VR, I really foresee companies saving a lot of money, time and effort in these areas. Mm. And because you've worked with so many clients across the, the region, what's kind of one of the most exciting or interesting projects that you've worked on? Okay, so there are two examples that I really want to call to attention. Number one is 
How do you think airports can effectively train their operational staff to drive on airport runways before actually deploying them, with all the usual hazards and obstructions? So Changi Airport Group engaged one of our ISVs to use VR training sessions to best simulate the actual driving on the airport runways. The results? A training program which is much more realistic and effective and it's also much shorter and more cost-effective than, for example, having to conduct it during runway closure. Another example, how do you train medicine and nursing students to deal with hostile patients? The National University of Singapore has created a VR training program that will equip students with the skills to handle agitated patients. As the rise in mental health issues has increased instances of violence towards healthcare workers. So with these two examples, I also want to call out a specific observation that I make with Southeast Asia companies. They are very ROI focused. They want to know how their $1 investment can translate to a $3 cost savings or a $5 increase in revenue. So if you want to talk to the companies here, you have to talk to them in those terms. As for the consumer, word of mouth is a big driver in adoption of new goods and services. So you absolutely have to think of ways to get people or influencers to talk about it. Mm, that makes sense. The metaverse is still getting built and defined at the moment. And I guess most consumers are still waiting to see what's in it for them. In a way, we might even need these influencers and cool people to be in the metaverse first in order to feel like it's going to be a cool place to hang out. Either that or word of mouth through friends because all your friends are there, so naturally you'll want to be there. Mm. And so if we now see ourselves in a future where we're, you know, instead of meeting on teams, we're meeting in a nice meeting room in the metaverse, do you think that people will then also want to see these kinds of experiences in their personal lives, like when they're scrolling through Instagram or whatever the equivalent of Instagram will be in the metaverse. Yeah, I think so. I actually see it aligned to how we are actually integrating home and work. We don't really talk about work-life balance anymore. We talk a lot about integration. And when we think about laptops and mobile phones, the different pieces of technology actually start from either side. So laptops started more at work and then we brought it to our personal lives, whereas the mobile phone actually started in our personal lives and then now we are bringing it to work. So I always think of, you know, different pieces of technology as starting from either side of home and work and then crossing the chasm to the other. And when we think about home and work integration, I do see different people or different use cases starting from one spectrum and then eventually I think it will converge. So that's how I see AR and VR devices and metaverse use cases. Beyond the technological obstacles that we've talked about, what are some of the biggest challenges and doubts that you have observed from your clients and different businesses having? A lot of businesses are very curious about this whole metaverse word and they really want to understand what are the opportunities and the biggest challenge facing a lot of businesses today is they just don't know where to start and they don't know how to get started so a lot of them then maybe adopt a wait and see approach trying to observe what their competitors are doing or what the industry is developing but I would say 
just start from somewhere. You know, defining and developing a value-focused strategy, defining your goals. Maybe do a bit of brainstorming with a cross-functional team, understanding where are the biggest business problems that could be solved with VR and AR technology, and then just test, learn and adopt and almost go into an iterative process before you scale. I would say that is a good start and you should definitely get started because you don't want to be left behind and you don't want to be in an environment where you did not contribute to the development of this metaverse. Yeah, and I, I guess the technology is still evolving so much, but if you don't start learning about it now, the way it's developing, it'll just be even more confusing and difficult in the future to get started. Yeah, exactly. And I would say you probably want to make sure that you have a seat at the table to influence it as it develops as well. If there's one piece of advice you could give a business looking to explore the metaverse, what would it be? So last week we were at an offsite and we actually discussed this question and someone actually made a really smart comment and he said think about all the experiences that should be 3D but are currently 2D. Those are probably the immediate problems or use cases that you want to explore. So I think these, this way of thinking is a good start for businesses to explore different use cases. I think right now when we are seeing um we talked about commerce and retail and also the enterprise use cases. They, they tend to be um, in different spaces, almost like different metaverses. Do you kind of see this merging in some way? Our ideal set is actually building for the metaverse because our ideal metaverse is one that's interoperable where people can bring their articles and they can access different spaces seamlessly so they can take their clothing, their digital clothing, or they can take their profile and access different spaces. So it's actually not, um, and maybe let me put it this way, it's not ideal that organizations or platforms start to have different spaces and it's not something that would benefit the consumer at the end of the day. So within that, that premise, do you then foresee a different kind of, because for example, in the internet, you know, we see different, a Vietnamese internet website will be structured differently to a Chinese one will be different to a European one. So do you see the metaverse having different features depending on the region and the country, or do you also see this one seamless place? I can see how there will be different needs depending on the language or the culture. But at the end of the day, what we want to build as the metaverse is really like that one big space that people could travel across. But maybe there could be kind of almost different rooms that people can enter for different purposes or to meet different communities. So I would say that is probably the ideal state that we want to build towards. Makes sense. I mean, I guess a bit like the world, right? If you're going from country to country, you're still on one planet, but there might be slightly different, you know, languages and things yeah. like this. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's what makes it interesting too, right? <clears throat> Just because everyone is together in one place doesn't mean that we want it to be all exactly the same. It'll be interesting to see um, what culture and, you know, specific local characteristics will look like in the metaverse. 
at the end of the day, we are looking to remove biases and to increase inclusion and diversity. So for example, if you feel like you face a certain type of discrimination, maybe in the metaverse, you will feel more confident because you are able to present yourself in a different way. Um, it's also good for maybe people who have disabilities, they can feel more empowered in the metaverse, or they would be able to eliminate, you know, discrimination. So those are the things that are interesting to explore. Um, but to your point, maybe at the on the other hand, we still want to preserve, you know, cultural elements, things that make us unique. So yeah, I, I think it's an interesting topic to debate and discuss. Then maybe final question, where will all of this develop if we look 20, 30 years in the future? What will it take for mass adoption in Southeast Asia? The metaverse is already here and it is really the next iteration of the internet that seamlessly combines our digital and physical lives. It is the internet that we will all step into. So I really see this more as an evolution rather than a milestone that we will cross. Thank you so much for your time, Elaine. This has been such an interesting discussion. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. According to a study done by Milu, 72% of Southeast Asians surveyed said they had positive feelings towards the metaverse. Most look forward to the technology as a possibility to advance human social interaction or facilitate more efficient social opportunities. As we have learned in today's episode, beyond the exciting consumer-facing opportunities, there are also many use cases within the enterprise space where VR and metaverse capabilities can broaden our experiences. The metaverse might be new, but our human needs are not. Look closer and deeper to what's around us. Help solve people's problems. Deepen their connections with others. Or create joyful and new experiences for them. I'm looking forward to a metaverse where countries in Southeast Asia are not only present, but leading and defining the rules. Till then, stay in tune with Asia.